does hell exist? And are there reasonable disagreements on this by people who believe the Bible? We discuss this and more with special guest Preston Sprinkle on this episode of The Overthinkers. Hello, thinking people's thinking people. Welcome to The Overthinkers, home for the creative intellectual and the only cult that wants you to think more, not less. I'm your host, Joseph Holmes, filmmaker, film critic, starving philosopher, and with me as always is my energetically eclectic co-host. Nathan Clarkson, actor, author, filmmaker, and today I'm going fanboy because <laughs> we have someone super excited to have on. I was telling a little before this that... Um, that you know, I've worked in uh, Hollywood uh, for quite a quite a while now. As as most of you who listen to this know, as I take every mm. your mind does yes uh, regularly yes <laughs> yeah of course as much as I can. But I I have never been more excited to have and converse and have a conversation with um, uh, a guest today who is a celebrity to me. Uh, and Joseph, will you do the honors of introducing our guest? Yes, he is a very special guest. He's, profesh- he's a professor, international speaker, and New York Times bestselling author behind such books as Erasing Hell, Living in a Gray World, People to be Loved, and the newly released book, Embodied. He is the president of the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender, and the host of the podcast, Theology in the Raw. He has spent much of his career researching, discussing, and debating controversial topics around the Bible and theology, including hell, sexuality, and violence. He is the prestigious, the passionate, the powerful <laughs> Preston Sprinkle. Dr. Sprinkle, welcome to the podcast. That's got to be the best intro I've ever, ever had. Yes. So, uh, I, I just, I got nothing right now. So yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to be here. Of course. I will share a quick anecdote. Uh, Preston, a few years ago, I actually sent in a question where you, when you were doing question and answers on your, yeah. uh, on your podcast and it actually kind of pertains to what we're talking about today. My question was if Satan is an actual entity or if he's the amalgamation or metaphorical literary device um, that, that kind of represents our sin. Uh, and you answer that on your podcast. So that is really fun. But I'm excited now to have you on and to talk about hell, which is uh, definitely in the same vein. So, Joseph, what are we talking about today? Cool. Well, nice segue. You are becoming the king of segues, Nathan. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yes, today we are talking about the light and uncontroversial subject. Is there a hell? Hell, the idea that there is a literal place where those who do evil and reject God are tortured for eternity is probably one of the most controversial ideas in Christian theology. That said, it is not totally unique to Christianity. The idea of a dwelling place for the dead is nearly universal among human cultures. Many in the ancient world, such as the Mesopotamians, believed all of the dead went to the same place, but many others, such as the Egyptians or Astrians, and eventually the uh, Greeks, believed that there were distinct destinations for both the good and evil in death. In Christian tradition, going to heaven or hell is dependent on whether or not you accept the Son of God, Jesus Christ, as Lord. But the existence of hell has been challenged by many in the Christian community. Rob Bell famously made waves by apparently denying the traditional view of hell and suggesting that all people will be saved in his book, Love Wins, a view known as universalism. While Pope Francis recently was supposedly had claimed that hell isn't real and the souls who reject God disappear, a view known as annihilationism. For traditional Christian believers in hell, hell is a validation that God is a just God and does not allow evil in this world to go unpunished. For its detractors, hell is a symbol of an evil God who unnecessarily tortures those who displease him with an elaborate torture country like an omnipotent cosmic jigsaw. So, Dr. Sprinkle, you have chosen for yourself, for some strange reason, to become deeply engaged on this topic of the existence of hell for a very long time. 
you co-wrote a book on the topic and have spoken about it, even facilitated debates on the topic. So I guess my first couple of questions are, why are you so interested in the subject? And what conclusions have you come to about the existence of hell based on your long research and engagement with others on this? Yeah, great, great uh, intro question. You know, I, I think most Christians or non-Christians, you know, ha have an interest in it. Uh, oftentimes it's a, it's because they're disturbed by it. You know, mm. um, it's one of those doctrines. It's kind of the, the black sheep of Christian doctrines uh, <laughs> yeah. that there is some kind of punishment, you know, that awaits mm. those who, you know, however you want to frame it, you know, reject God or don't follow God or don't believe in him. Um, and, and that, especially as our society keeps getting, you know, <laughs> well, I don't know. More, I almost said more tolerant, but then that you have that. Seems, <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, I'm tolerant, except towards people that wear a MAGA hat, you know, or whatever. So, I mean, <laughs> it, I think intolerance swings on the extremes of both sides, um, fundamentalism and progressive fundamentalism. But um, yeah, I, but I think there is something in the air that this idea of punishment or, mm. or that there is an, even an objective standard of right and wrong, or that this God manifested in the loving Jesus could actually condemn, you know, certain people. So yeah, and that this goes for people outside the church and inside the church. A yeah. lot of Christians I talk to, they have they're, you know, they're they're uh they're secure in their faith. They they hold their Christian worldview, they read the Bible, they understand it. There's questions and stuff, but if you, you know, got a couple of drinks in them and get get them in the room by themselves and start asking about hell, then they're going to say, man, yeah, I just, <laughs> I really struggle with this. You know, yeah. if, if the Bible says it, then I guess I believe it. But if, it were my, if I had it my way, I would, this might be one of those doctrines I would, wouldn't mind, you know, that didn't exist. So, yeah. um, yeah, so that's kind of me. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm that Christian with two drinks in me, you know, <laughs> I, I believe the Bible. I live for the Bible. I teach it. I study it. I love it. But hell is one of those things. It yeah. was like, man, this God, if you said it, I believe it, you know, but this, I have a hard time. If you want to be honest, you know, um, embracing this. So that led me into a study. What does the Bible actually say about this? It's interesting. That was one of the most difficult things as I was a young man kind of formulating my own faith as I kind of stepped out of my own. Hell was the one thing that I found that was the most difficult for me to reconcile about God's character um, and then it was also difficult as I was stepping in these secular spaces. I was a grew up a church kid. That yeah. was the most difficult thing that I would hear from um, non-believers and people who hadn't grown up in the context that I had was hell. How could a loving God? Because you keep, you know they would say you keep on telling about this loving God who all of a sudden tortures people for eternity because they grew up in you know a different country or a different family right, right. or just you know or they made a mistake and they decided not to accept Jesus as their own personal savior. And because of that, they get punished for eternity. And I remember yeah. reading Rob Bell's book, Love Wins, which you mentioned, Joseph. And um, and for me, you know, I, I haven't read a lot of Bell, but what I enjoyed about the book, I, I didn't agree with everything. And I have to go back and look at it. It was probably over a decade ago that I read it. Um, but I, I like that he raised some really good questions. And I was happy that there was a, um, at the time, I guess he was a pastor. There was a, a so a Christian who was asking these questions have we got hell correct? Because this is kind of the orthodox view. And I know that you're someone who very often is very orthodox, even to your own public image um, uh, uh, harm. Yeah. Uh, you, yes. <laughs> um, but it was interesting to me to see someone ask these questions. I remember one of the questions that was really meaningful to me is how could God punish um, 
sin eternally for how could God punish eternally for a finite amount of sin, which really stuck out to me. And that was something that was like, that is a great question. Heard a lot of different Christians and Catholics try to answer that in some way, but it always sounds rather um, unsatisfying. And so mm-hmm. it was interesting to me when I stumbled upon your podcast to hear someone who was Orthodox, they weren't, you know, I'm going to make up my own Christianity, who, who did um, think of scriptures high and, 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 and something to uh, inform how we ought to think about things, but who was who wrestling with the same question. And so, yeah, I guess, I guess another question I want to ask is what, yeah, I, mean, I guess what all the listeners want to know. What do you? What did you believe about hell? What do you believe about hell, and why? Yeah, great. That, that could take us a while. Uh, um, <laughs> you have twenty-five so words let, or less. Go. Yeah. Yeah, let me. Uh, I, I will be concise. Um, but let let me let me. I guess set it up too before we, before anybody even answers those questions. Okay, what do you believe about hell and why? I do think we have to have a, almost like a presupposition that. Christianity is not like a choose your own adventure story. We don't get to make mm. God in our image. I mean, whether you're Jewish, Muslim, Christian, but we like whatever. Yeah. If God is real, you have yeah, to take if him God as is he real, is. he's God, you're not. And then you have to decide what's the authoritative means by which God, that God that you are choosing to believe in you, are, is going to reveal their truth or the truth to you. And so right. the standard global Orthodox Christian position is there is a God, you're not him. And the, the scriptures are a, a authoritative, probably the authoritative means by which he reveals truth to us. Sure. So, um, so that um, is a very basic framework, but I think sometimes we need to say that out loud because sure. practically oftentimes we fall into this. I could never believe in a God who would, and, and that kind of line of reasoning just ends up forming God in your own image. And I don't want a God that, I'm the creator of, <laughs> then I'm God yeah, and he's, yeah, yeah. he's my subject, you know? Yeah. So with that posture in mind, I grew up like most Christians believing hell was this place of eternal conscious torment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I assumed flames were literal, that hell mm-hmm. was this burning place that somehow resurrected unbelievers go to and just kind of burn forever. And God miraculously <clears throat> prevents them from turning to him and prevents them from dying out, you know, mm. pretty horrific image, you know, but I'm yeah. like, that's what hell is. Right. So, and, and that throughout church history, that image has been reinforced for the last <clears throat> 1500 years, especially the last thousand years, you know, through Dante's Inferno and, sure. and different, yeah. you know, famous books and stuff. Um, but when, so when Rob Bell's book came out, I, I, I really enjoyed the book. And I, I, as a fellow hard question asker, I, I love the questions he was asking that I couldn't immediately answer. I was like, gosh, that's a great thing to wrestle with. Mm-hmm. Then when he went in and, and, you know, he's got several chapters on, on hell, um, you know, Rob Bell prides himself on being this guy who's like steeped in like the Jewish context of the New Testament, mm-hmm. um, loves to, you know, look at Jewish literature, the Jewish Jesus. My immediate thought reading his stuff on hell, uh, having done a PhD in the New Testament, the Jewish, but I did my PhD in the first century Judaism. So that's the world I live okay. in. Wow. Oh, wow. Cool. And, and so I'm reading him. I'm like, Rob, I mean, pardon me. I kind of hope you're right. But one thing's ex- very clear is the Jesus you're talking about in this book is not the Jewish first century Jesus. Like first century Judaism had no problem talking about hell. Um, Okay. So uh, it seems like a more Western postmodern Jesus that you're reflecting on here. Uh, And maybe, maybe that's the correct Jesus. I don't know. All I know is that that, that, that you're presenting a very un-Jewish 
view of the afterlife. But then I was like, what does the Bible say about hell? Like, mm. I, I actually don't know. I don't know. I grew up believing this stuff and all my pastors believed it and the doctrinal statements had it. I signed off on them. Never really did a study for myself. Sure. Long story short, at the same time, Francis Chan, I was on staff at the church where he was at. And so we both said, man, let's write a response to um, Rob Bell, but let's, the response is not, you're wrong, here's why. The response is, thank you for forcing us to go back to the text of scripture. <laughs> Neither of us know, knew really why we believe what we believe. So we're going to, we're going to study the text and then present what we find. Um, and what we found long story short was, yeah, we, we do think that, you know, when the new Testament talks about hell, the Greek word is Gehenna used 12, um, 12 or 13 times. There's lots of other images about a lake of fire, about, the fiery furnace and, and outer darkness and all these kind of images of die. some yeah. kind of place um, that you don't want to go to um, after you die. Uh, still lots of questions about it. We, we, we end up saying, man, there's a lot more about hell that we don't know. Yeah. Um, but as a, some kind of place of irreversible punishment um, <laughs> does seem that that's what the new Testament is saying. Now you can choose not to believe that you can not like it. You can whatever, but like the first century Jewish writers, this is what they were talking about. The one question that was really surprised us was the, if I can say the duration of okay, hell, yeah. that, 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 it, that there is a hell that's not just, you know, a metaphor for evils on earth. Um, yeah, we're pretty clear on that. And we were pretty convinced on the irreversibility. Like that's kind of what the whole book was about. The one question we had though, is like, we have a lot of passages that seem to say that hell is not like mm. forever. Like it's not like you're there and you are being punished so over and over and over for all eternity. There's a lot of passages that seem to talk about some kind of finality. Like you go and like Paul says, the wages of sin is death, Mm-hmm. not eternal conscious torment, but you know, the free gift of God is eternal life. So it's like, well, death and destruction and a lot of concepts that seem to convey not this kind of never ending, but we did find other passages where like, no, this seems to conf- you know, confirm the, yeah. or uh, agree with the traditional view of eternal conscious torment. So we did in that book lean towards eternal conscious torment. Um, the so-called traditional Western view, I'll add Western there. Um, <laughs> but I had these questions. I was like, man, I, I didn't even know there was biblical evidence for this so-called annihilation view. Long story short, that was 2011 when we published the book. Since then, I have now uh, changed my view on the duration from the eternal conscious torment to annihilation based on looking at, re-looking and re-looking and re-looking at all these passages. And uh, to me, I, I, I think it's actually pr- pretty clear now. And I'm surprised m- more people don't at least use at least evidence for this view. But maybe that's 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 where we start the controversy. Maybe <laughs> sure. Yeah. Okay. That's that's really cool. So, I mean, could you could you give just a again? You you've you've done a great job of keeping a long story concise. Um, but you could <laughs> give a, just a little bit more on a couple. Give a couple of examples of mm-hmm. why you think that the annihilation view, the idea that right. there is a hell, but it doesn't punish eternally. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot yeah. of people say like, it's not, maybe not a view they'd even heard of before. So, right, right. Why, so give a couple more, you gave a couple examples already, but a couple more examples of why it seems like yeah. this is the best um, uh, yeah. way to look at it, how than the traditional view that people have often grown up with. Right. Okay. And again, let, let me give a 30 second uh, running start to that. Uh, sure. I want yeah. to acknowledge up front that 
prior to Constantine or prior to Augustine, Augustine, fourth mm-hmm. century theologian, uh, annihilation, um, a form of universalism and eternal conscious torment. Those three views were all in existence among very orthodox Christian leaders okay. prior to. So they were running Saint around Augustine. the circles and the conversations. It wasn't quite as monolithic as it has. Right. Been. No, okay. not at all. Not at all. The, the not, and even now, well, since Augustine, the Western church has largely followed Augustine's understanding of hell, which was eternal <laughs> conscious torment. Now the Eastern church, this is we have this whole other half of the globe <laughs> with many different kinds of Christ, Christians in it, where views of the afterlife are way more flexible. Like eternal conscious torment might be one possibility, but annihilation and even a, a Christ centered form of universalism would also be uh, widely accepted. So all that to say, when we talk about annihilation versus eternal conscious sure. torment, we're not talking about, are you an Orthodox Christian or like not even a Christian anymore? Or sure. Yeah. yeah. I've been um, called a heretic. So the, the, the easiest example is the easiest example. And I would invite my audience to recite with me, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that who, whosoever believe, believeth nice. in him nice. shall not perish, shall not what? perish, yeah. be tortured forever and ever, but have eternal life. Sure. <laughs> No, yeah. it's perished. And I remember thinking about that, like, well, wait a minute. I, John 3.16. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've quoted it a few times, you know, and, <laughs> and I've never even stopped to think about the contrast between perish and um, everlasting life. Now, maybe perish could actually mean eternal conscious torment. Um, but if I didn't have these presuppositions and I saw perish, if something perishes, I would think it kind of is at some point not going to be around anymore. It's going to be gone. It's going to not be conscious anymore, you know? Sure. Um, and then I, I, I did some word studies on the, the Greek word for perish, the Greek word for death, the Greek word for destruction. There's a few different Greek words and saw that language of destruction, um, which in and of itself would seem to convey some kind of finality, not ongoing never ending existence. Again, maybe that's a possibility, but you would need to have to prove that. Like if something's destroyed, if a person, if somebody is destroyed, the more natural meaning would seem to be no longer conscious or if somebody dies, like you wouldn't say, right. well, obviously they're still alive. Like, well, no, like they're dead. Like, <laughs> um, so uh, language of death, destruction, perish all over the place mm-hmm. in the new Testament. Um, now you do have three passages and it's these kind of big three passages that, that in a race in hell nudged us to lean towards eternal conscious torment. It's Matthew 25. Um, oh gosh, 26, Matthew 25, 26, I believe where it says uh, um, it contrasts eternal life with eternal punishment hmm. and uh, uh, revelation 14, nine to 11, which seems to say that there's this never ending, you know, torment that goes on. And then revelation 20, where people are thrown into the lake of fire, the revelation 21 is a little bit easy for me. That one, it doesn't actually say that they are punished forever and ever. It does say the devil, the beast and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire and punished forever. You know, they, they, Oh, interesting. Okay. That's in 20 verse 10. I don't have a Bible in front of me. So this is man, lame (laughs) Christian. (laughs) (laughs) I do have one. It's like four feet away and I just, I'm too lazy to grab. Um, 
So in he's Revelation just 20, nodding along, being like, "Uh huh, yeah, those passages, yeah, right?" Yeah. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, this is, I mean, I've reflected on this. So that's yeah. Uh, in Revelation twenty ten, it says, "Devil, beast, false prophet, go to the lake of fire, and they are tormented forever and ever, day and night." Okay, that that seems to convey some kind of never ending. Um, but then in twenty fifteen, it says, "If anybody's name is not found in the book of life, they are thrown in the lake of fire." Period. Doesn't say they're actually tormented forever and ever. So there's, you can say, well, they go to the same place. Therefore, it's implied that they are. Again, maybe it's, but that's, let's at least hold that implication with an open hand and look at the rest of scripture. So, yeah, the more I started looking at it, the more I saw, and the more I talked to people that believe strongly in eternal conscious torment, I was like expecting maybe a more thoughtful biblical reason. And that's how I don't want to, um, that sounds too judgmental. I was expecting you can be judgmental actually, on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I was expecting like, like real robust, like exegetical reasons. Like sure. I looked at this Greek where I looked at this patches, but I would bring up John three 16. I'm like, huh? Never really thought about That's that. I'm like, well, me neither. But once I did think about it, I was like, wow, I, I started to kind of revisit, but sure. It seems that for a lot of people, and this is not a knock on their intelligence. It's more, they just haven't, provided they just haven't taken the space to dig into this. Sure, yeah. They haven't really looked at from an unbiased way, the biblical evidence for eternal conscious torment mm-hmm. and the biblical evidence for annihilation, or maybe even the biblical evidence for universalism. Cause sure. I do think there is a few passages that in and of themselves, like, Oh, I could see where somebody would get it out of that passage. I think sure. the totality of scripture would, would rule that out. But, um, but when I looked at the totality of scripture, I was like, man, they're, they're just, they're, there's a lot, there's a lot more evidence here than I think sure. people realize for, again, some kind of finality in when somebody, you know, faces judgment. And the thing for me is, as I looked into this view, the view of um, annihilationism, uh, that it's not this, that God doesn't say, oh, you made a bad decision once, maybe you had a bad day and got run over by a bus, whatever it might be, too bad, that's eternal. Mm-hmm. It, it was interesting for me because as I looked at, because, you know, a lot of times we think about these theological questions are they important? You know, there are people dying or whatever it might be in, in the news. And we're going, we're arguing about hell or heaven um, right. or, or whatever it might be or the atonement. Or, But to me, as I looked yeah. into this issue, this was very telling to me and informative of how I actually saw God. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think how you think about God and how God serves out and doles out justice ultimately will change your view and inform you about who God is and how he works and how he interacts with his people because I had a, I had a hard time um, as I was, I, was, I was growing up reconciling this, all right, I do know God is loving as eternally graceful, eternally graceful, eternally graceful and kind. And then, you know, and we're his, we're, we have this language of we're his children. We're, we are beloved. He, he loves us. He, he desires that all men come to him. He draws us and he came and died for us. And then it's like, it, it seems so irreconcilable to me that he would have all these adjectives of goodness and grace and kindness and forgiveness. Um, and then, and then torture people for an eternity and mm. eternity is so even hard for our heads to grasp, but to torture yeah. someone for eternity seems almost sadistic. And that's not the God that I come to know. Again, like you pointed out, I don't want to make God in my image. I don't want to be the one who's deciding what is just and what is not just. I'm glad that God does that for me. But it did, as I began looking into this view and the validity of it, um, which you gave some mm-hmm. um, good points and, and references about. And by the way, go check out um, Preston's uh, uh, podcast because you do yeah. have longer episodes where you discuss this in longer forms. And there's, you even go to the Old Testament 
um, yeah. a few times and how even when you look at the totality of scripture, as you said, you see um, a lot of evidence for this, um, this annihilation view, but it made sense with it. Get, it made God make more sense to me. And mm, it made, yeah. it would seem more consistent with the character that I had come to understand about him in my own personal life. So I oh. think it's a random, Oh, it's just a, a cool, fun, you know, late night, two beards and you theology question this is actually a question that will shape how you view and think about god and also it'll shape how you are able to share god and show god to others because i think that's a big barrier for people when they are um interested in god and the and loving aspects i'm not, I'm not saying god jesus is a hippie but i do think that's a big barrier for people mm -hmm. in coming to faith is things like that things like the eternal um internal of billions of people for having been born in the wrong place. And when I yeah. started looking in this view of annihilationism, it definitely helped God make more sense. And you, you actually had, um, I can't even, was, didn't, don't know if it was on your podcast or somewhere else, but Sky Jitani yeah. talked about the annihilation view. And he and he had some really interesting things to say about it, but what I liked about it, again, I want to be careful with the I like it, so much <laughs> about what he said was, ultimately under this view you get what you want if you want to be in connection with your creator for eternity you will be and if you don't you won't be and essentially um you you are you free will is given to the very very end um but there are some practical questions i'd love to know what does this look like when we die um do we get another chance to choose heaven or non-existence is this something that we have to decide now what about you know the kid who yeah. grew up uh, hindu or muslim in another country um, who never, either they never heard about God or, you know, just the context, they never uh, knew the Christian faith. Do they get a chance or will they be annihilated as well? Yeah. I mean, those are all good questions. And I'm out, I, all I can do He's is- He's good like give, that. Yeah. Was that? <laughs> He's good like that, yeah. yeah. All I can do is um, my, my observations of what I think scripture, how scripture might address that again. Mm -hmm. um, take it or leave it, you know? Um, so it seems like the best scheme of understanding the afterlife um, in, in the scriptures, especially the new Testament, the old Testament doesn't have a lot of real clarity on the afterlife. There's a couple verses here and there, some vague statements like Sheol, and there's debates about what that even is, but yeah. the new Testament has quite a bit more. The overwhelming emphasis in the new Testament is on the second coming of Jesus when he will raise all the dead, this is John 5, oh, okay. um, actually isn't Daniel 12, 1 to 2. Um, he returns, he raises all the dead. This is the sheep and goats parable yep. in Matthew 25. So the sheep were over here, goats over there. That's when they face judgment. Um, and then they go to either the, the, the renewed creation, um, eternal life, or they go to Gehenna, outer darkness, lake of fire, or hell. Um, hell is the meaning of Gehenna. Um, now, the, 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 the big question is, what about what happens when between somebody's personal death and the future second coming of Jesus and the general yeah. resurrection yeah. of all people? And that, that's where there's a bit of mystery, mm. that kind of in-between state. Now, you do have a, a few passages that um, do either address it or hint at it. The biggest one is Luke 16, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, because mm. here Jesus describes, you know, the rich man dies and he goes to a place called Hades. This is not hell. Hades is different than hell. 
Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, oh, Hades is, is more than. Okay, cool. I don't want to bore anybody. Um, no. Hades <laughs> is like this, not so um, far. <laughs> not yet. I'll see if you start falling asleep. Yeah, exactly. So Hades yeah. is the Hades is the word used to describe this intermediate state. Intermediate meaning between somebody's mm. personal death and their the future resurrection. Oh, well, that's uh, fascinating. That's actually something I never heard he, of before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So and then uh, so the rich man goes to um, this is Luke sixteen. 19 to I think 31. Um, the rich man goes to Hades, the poor, the poor man goes to, he calls it Abraham's bosom or paradise. It's this intermediate state for the, the, for believers. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, we would just call it heaven really. Like when we say you go to heaven, when we die, well, that's actually not describing a final state It's describing an intermediate, the intermediate state. Um, so that would be the most probably thorough passage, but that one it's clearly, um, it's a parable. Yeah. Um, there's kind of a lot of metaphors happening. Like they're talking to each other and he's like, sure. dip your finger in the water and cool my tongue. I'm in agony in this fire. And it's like, what does that mean? Like really literally like one, like how much of that are you going to take literally and how much sure. is yeah. figurative yeah. and the answer, most scholars would say, well, the main point of the passage is about wealth and poverty. First of all, sure. um, it's not really trying to give a, a geography of the, of the intermediate state. Is there something here that Jesus is affirming about the intermediate state? Maybe it's just hard to tell. Okay. So that's one passage. You have other passages like Paul in Philippians one that says, if I die, I will be with Christ. That's it. With Christ, some kind of intermediate, some kind of witness with Christ. Be absent from it. the body to be present with Christ. To be absent. That's another one in second Corinthians. That's the third one. Second Corinthians five, one to 10 is another passage that, kind of goes back and forth between this like intermediate state and the future mm. resurrection. And sometimes it's hard to sort out which one he's talking about beyond that. That's about it. Mm. Um, you, you have a couple other vague statements, but that's, there's not a lot of, a lot of biblical clarity on what happens, where we will go between our personal death and our future resurrection. So, um, what was a your lot. question again? I, for some reason, I, 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 <laughs> a lot. Of, I'm I'm getting the nitty gritty and the and the practical of what what does this look like and oh uh, and so a lot of the, oh continue go go well yeah, yeah you were asking about do you have like a second chance or whatever and, yeah, and yeah, yeah so so that's where because there's not a lot of biblical clarity on that intermediate state we just don't know we can't say yeah. one way or the other like the oh in that state you you'll be able able to in the intermediate state turn, would be a place where where that would have some gray area possibility. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I get somebody could draw out from like that parable, the rich man and Lazarus where the, where the rich what, man, um, um, what about like, the one, this is one that, with, what, with the one where that yeah, always where got seems brought like up to me, he's aware always, enough where, to kind of like, yeah. turn. the one that yeah. always got brought up to me was like this, some of illusion in, in Peter where, you know, Jesus went down to preach to the uh, preach to the sons of Noah, something like that. First Peter three, 18 and 19 talks about Jesus, um, after he died, he went and it says he preached to the spirits who are now in prison. Yeah. Mm. Um, there, so the big question is who are the spirits? What does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> and what does that mean? Yeah. What does preach mean? Yeah. The word could mean preach the gospel to, um, or it could mean announced victory to kind of like mm. proclaiming that he is one. And I, I think that's, I think he's announcing victory to angelic be fallen beings okay. who are in prison there. Sure. That, that, I think that's probably what's going on there. But yeah, that's another question that, you know, maybe sure. some people can get yeah. saved in this in, in between states. So to answer your question, I mean, the, the weight of biblical evidence is that your 
decision time is here on earth. And once you die, you don't have another opportunity, but I want to hold that loosely, quite honestly. Sure. There's, there's so much that so many gaps that God just doesn't fill into our knowledge. And my faith is in, you know, in Genesis 18, that the will not the judge of all the earth do what is right. My faith yeah. is in God who sure. will do what is right. I don't need to know all the details. Um, when I so, I wanna, so all right, go, go ahead. And I, I want to, uh, yeah, real quick. I love that you said that, you know, in the gaps of what we can understand about sure. these really difficult, really unknowable things um, outside of scripture, we do have to come to a place where we trust that God is good and his character is consistent across of all, across right. all of this. Right. And, you know, the, and that is the God that's revealed in scripture. So I like that. That is something that's to all of our listeners who are listening. Um, it, we can pontificate and talk about all these things and they're really great wonderful thing to talk about but ultimately we we do have to come eventually to this place where we trust that god is good and will do what is just yeah no i think that's that's an excellent point i think one of the things you pointed out earlier nathan clark i want to affirm because i think the passed over a little bit is that um you're not being a hypocrite when you say that you want um god to be graceful loving merciful and stuff like that because you because you're not doing that because you like that. You're saying that because that's the kind of God he describes himself as. And yeah, that's one of the things yeah. that I always say is that, look, I, you know, again, if we have the kind of God who is a cosmic, you know, tyrant sadist, okay, fair enough. But like, that's not how he describes himself. And that's not how we're <laughs> given to understand. You know, um, I think that, you know, so, so, so for me, you know, like you bring up a lot of really interesting things and there's, there's, you make some good cases for annihilationism. You know, I have, like, you know, I have a friend who, like, her big sticking point that I have a problem with is she has the trouble with the idea. It's really deeply troubling for her that somebody could grow up without the, simply the, just the knowledge of God because they, you know, were yeah. brought in the wrong country. And then for that, they are consciously tortured for all eternity. That's mm, a big yeah. sticking point for her. And, you know, again, it's very uh, for, you know, Guess, and that's that's true. Again, like I always saw, say, like you know, if you picture hell, like you know, jigsaw, like, you know, he's like he's created this elaborate torture chamber arbitrarily for some reason. Um, yeah. The the idea of you know, I like the idea personally. I say I like the idea of annihilationism better than hell because it seems to be cleaner. It's kind of like look, you know, if you're not, you know, if you're going to be a troublemaker and you're going to spoil God's party, like after resurrection death, you're going to make hell on earth again, then you just don't get to come back. Like, you know, the idea of like, okay, you get eternal life or you just don't get to come back is actually a lot cleaner to me of an idea and a lot less sadistic feeling. Um, It's kind of like, you know, again, why would you create another elaborate place for hell? Like, why would you just not create a place? It's just, okay, they either get eternal (laughs) life or they die. Like that seems to be more merciful and more cleaner. I will say, you know, I, I, a couple, a couple of my things I will say, I, I, I don't, it, it still works to me because I don't, it, universalism doesn't make sense to me beyond the whole, um, you know, the biblical element of it. That's, it's not the way I've observed life working. Like, you know, if that again, takes if, away free will as well, it, it, it takes away free will. Again, like you yeah. see in real life, you see how some people you just cannot have a relationship with. They refuse to change, you know, their bad behavior. And at some point you have to cut off the relationship. And so, yeah. you know, I'm not, so the hell thing always made sense to me in that regard. Where it's like, yeah, at some point people are free and they're not, you, you have to cut off the relationship or else, you know, you make a hell out of heaven. But still, annihilation still preserves that free will aspect. It preserves all of that aspect. 
um, there, there is a couple of problems that I've sort of, you know, that I have with, with totally accepting that. Um, one of them is sort of the, oddly enough, there is, I read a, was a book called A Comedian's Guide to Theology when I was, uh, when I was young by a, a, a Christian comedian that I really admired, Thor Ramsey. And he referred to annihilate, he was actually when I first uh, was introduced to annihilationism. And he huh. referred to annihilationism as teaching you a lesson that you will soon forget. Um, and I <laughs> <laughs> um, did and, not want anyone to forget the lesson. <laughs> right. Well, and, and the thing is, there, there is a weird thing that if you do believe that there is a hell and a final judgment, um, it, it, that it, it almost seems cleaner to have no final judgments, just have the, okay, you get to come back and you don't. But if you are going to like torture people and send them to hell for a little bit, it's like, it seems kind of weird to do that. And then it's like, but now you're all just going to die. So there's, there's, you don't, you know, unless he's kind of making these people an object lesson for other people. And then that seems a bit kind of like a move also. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing is that it doesn't solve the problem of you were born in the wrong country. Cause it's still like, oh, you're born in the wrong country. So sure. You don't get tortured for all eternity. And so that's maybe better, but you also, it's kind of not your fault that you don't get to go to heaven anyway. Um, and also the 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 thing is the elaborate torture chamber is not the only version of hell that exists out there. My always my my thing I always wondered was if people are going to deny hell, why why don't they deny that version of hell? But they also like, well, why don't you go with C.S. Lewis's or Billy Graham's idea of hell, which is just it's sort of the idea that um, you know eternal souls are kind of like ideas. They're like, you know, they're kind of like, you know, it's like Superman. You couldn't uninvent Superman because somebody's already come up with him. And so he always exists in the minds of people who, who are great. So eternal souls have to exist somewhere. And so if they're going, once they've been created, and so if they're going to exist, they're going to exist outside of the realm of God's kingdom, if they're going to decide to ruin it um, for, for everyone. So I guess my, my, and, and it seems to be, I guess ultimately, it seems to be weird that yes, you could, you could, there might be motives for people to say, we're going to invent, we're going to invent, or we're going to push the idea of hell because it gives us power. It gives us, makes people sell indulgences to us. So maybe bishops would say, but it seems like such a horrible idea that if it's not true, then it seems weird that the majority of well-meaning Orthodox Christians would hold to that view over others. So I guess I'm being a bit unfair because I gave you a bunch of objections yeah, and questions all I got, at once. Yeah, several so, but um, I was wondering if you could just explain to me as the scholar who knows a lot more about this than I do, why I'm, why I'm wrong or maybe why I'm maybe, no, I, uh, looking at this incorrectly or, or just give your, your thoughts so many, on it. Why do so many very intelligent Orthodox Christians yeah. Yeah. persisted so strongly? Yeah, that would that, be the main if one, I guess. If it's obvious in scripture that it's not true. Yeah, yeah that, I mean... Some of those brilliant Christians that walked the planet owned slaves, you know, and, and sure. were mm. profoundly misogynist. Even though Genesis one twenty seven is was blatant passage that women are equal to men, both created in God's image. And so, I, I mean, uh, I think the psychology that goes behind interpreting anything really is super complex. Um, yeah. And there's there's a lot of unfortunately this hasn't trickled into the church too much, but there's a lot of. Um, this is pretty well known in the, in just the broader 
psychological community. I mean, like uh, Jonathan Haidt, who's a atheist Jew philosopher or psychologist. Yeah. He yeah, wrote a book yeah. called The Righteous, Righteous Mind. Mind. Why good yeah. people, yeah, yeah. Why good people disagree on politics and religion. He's like, 90% of what we believe has nothing to do with like our rational yeah. capabilities. It's intuition, it's it's background, it's upbringing, it's biases, it's in, it's feelings, it's, you know. Um, so I, I, because I, I used to have the same thing, like I remember in seminary, it's like, wait a minute. You know, I went to like a dispensational kind of rapture seminary. I'm like, but wait a minute, John Calvin doesn't agree with you. And like, we worship him (laughs) basically, you know, and like, (laughs) you tell me Martin Luther couldn't like come. um, uh, And so that's just the way it is. Like there's going to be brilliant people who disagree on significant things. And that's largely just the psychology of belief. So uh, I think we need to just be okay with, a lot of good people believe, but again, I, I know a lot of again really, really, really smart people who believe in a traditional view of hell that, you know, will say admittedly, like never thought about John three sixteen saying perish, you know, and what's the Greek word there? And I'm like, it's um, I, I'm blanking on it now, but I'll tell them what it is. And they're Greek scholars, like, oh, it's that word, really? Okay, and like, just because we're smart doesn't mean that we have like super well thought out reasons yeah. for all of our beliefs, you know? Sure. Um, that's one. I also want to push back a little bit, not, not on you necessarily, but on, in the idea that people born in the wrong country and stuff, like, um, first of all, the whole idea of kind of absolute free will is just an absolute myth. Like people are born with <laughs> intellectual, different capabilities, Ooh, social status, awesome. rich, poor, they're born really and they're abused by their parents. And mm. just life, there's one observation of human nature. It's just not fair. <laughs> like, mm. yeah. um, and also the church is growing faster in Iran than any country in the world and diminishing oh, right. in America. Sure. Um, yes. China for the last 80 years, yes. yep. you know, went from what, 400,000 and then Christianity became illegal and now it's 100 million or something. So <laughs> yeah. um, you can Man, be born. Just, I know loads, why loads of people raised in the church it, that Why do they keep thinking making it illegal is going to work? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and you know, how come God's reaching so many Muslim women yeah. through just raw visions and he's not mm-hmm. doing that to white middle-class kids in America, you know, mm-hmm. or just, not, I don't know. It's, 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 it's just, it's very complicated. Um, yeah, that's and fair. life is not fair. Um, with the, um, I, Oh, one more thing that I want to affirm is I, I do like, the holy like emotional concern. Like some people say, well, we don't like, I even said like, you don't want to make God in your image. So we can't, we shouldn't believe something simply because it is palatable to us. On the other hand, I like both of you have kind of said at the same time, sometimes our emotional aversion to something is because it doesn't seem to square with what we yeah. know about Jesus right. or the rest of scripture. The God and so know. just because somebody's like, this just doesn't sit right with me. That doesn't necessarily mean, mean, they're just being emotional. Like if I was going right. to be emotional, I would just say universalism, done deal. That's a fair point. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think there's a good, let me just say it neutrally. There's a good case that can be made for eternal conscious torment conflicting with some aspects that we know about God sure. revealed in Jesus um, and the way he, he treats humanity. Um, I don't know. You had several other questions. I forgot by no, now. No, Those no, are three that kind of stood out. No, no, no. You would kick the main ones. There was, there was, that's a really good okay. response. And to wrap up, because I, yes. I don't respect your time, but I'd love to, because we, we like talking about how all these ideas actually affect people. Yeah. We, we talked yeah. a little bit about the idea. And please, again, I'll, I'll reiterate this. Go listen to Preston's 
podcast speaks a lot about this. And this really is a worthy issue to talk about because I mentioned earlier, at least at least for me, because it does change our view of God and how we see God and how we yeah. relate to him. Um, so I guess my last question, I'd love for you to just touch on this quickly. How does or one personally, how has taking this view affected uh, your your view and understanding of God? Has it changed your view and understanding of God? And how has it changed how you relate to people? And have you noticed that they they are more receptive to faith, yeah. to God, that kind of thing, entering the conversation with God isn't punishing people for eternity. Um, yeah. It's more of a free will kind of thing. Has it changed your view of God and other people? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I, I'm glad you reiterated twice now that this isn't just an abstract doctrine. Like how yeah. what you believe about the character of God does have direct effect on how you live how you respond to God, how you pray, how you relate to God, whether or not you're wanting to tell other people about this God. So, I mean, yeah, it has all kinds of practical ramifications. And that's good. To, that's, we need to affirm that. Um, my view. Yeah. I think, um, again, I'm, I'm, um, I'm very much a biblically centered person. Um, uh, despite what some of my conservative critics think, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I spent dozens of a dozen years studying Greek and Hebrew so that I can yeah. understand every word from the original, what it means, because I believe scripture yeah. is the authoritative word of God. And I'm going to go where the text leads. That's how I treat every issue. Um, um, oh, shoot. I, I, I lost my thought. I, <laughs> oh, my word. It's overthinking. You're out of thought. Yes, exactly. that, I know. What in the world? Well, Wait. So how, how does this affect you? How has this made you um, oh, change oh, oh, how okay, you relate yeah, to yeah, people? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Go, yeah. So even if eternal, if eternal conscious torment was clearly the view revealed through scripture, I, I would embrace that and I would follow that God. I don't, I think mm. following the God who's revealed in scripture is the best sure. of all the other options. I definitely don't want to create God in my image. I don't, I don't want to take scissors to the Bible. That is a, not, not a good thing to do. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that the, the, if I, if you just step back, as I read scripture, the eternal conscious view does not, as you said, it doesn't, it doesn't square with, I would say how scripture talks about God revealed in Jesus. I mean, Jesus yeah. says, when you've seen me, you've seen the father, like mm-hmm. this God throughout the, this, this God throughout the old Testament, like his, the most perfect revelation manifestation manifestation of who that God is, is Jesus. Yeah. And so, yeah. um, yeah, it just doesn't really, it doesn't really yeah. square well that he would. So think about this. So you have the eternal conscious torment view. You have people that, you know, go to hell. And they're conscious that that's a big, that's part of the doctrine, right? eternal conscious torment. So they're aware they, they, they have their personality, they have pain, they're feeling this horrible, you know? So this view says that for all eternity, either they're just not going to turn to God. Like they're going to sit there millions of years in perpetual torment. There's, they're really going to hold on to the resistance that in what world would that actually be true? Like, yeah, of course sure, they yeah. turn to God, but then they're going to say, well, no, but God will prevent them from repenting. Interesting. God, well, wait, really? He's going to act. Somebody wants to repent. They, they want to turn to God. Okay. Okay. I, I, I'm so sorry. I want to repent, turn to you. 
And God's going to say, nope, I'm going to prevent you from doing that. Cause they're still conscious. It's not like they're in the state of like unconsciousness where the possibility of repentance is no longer. It's like, no, God has to actively say no to their repentance for a million. If God, look again, for my conservative audience, if scripture reveals that scenario, I will believe it. I, I really will. I have no other better option than to follow the God of the Bible. Um, but that doesn't square really with, the character of God revealed in other parts of, of scripture. So Even all that, that is all that to say that the very practical question he asked, like I have some, uh, some, um, um, some resolution, I guess that wasn't there when I did hold to eternal conscious torment. I was like, ah, I'll believe this. Cause I think the Bible says sure. it at that time, but like this, this doesn't resonate. Like I'm, I, 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 you know, but now I'm like, oh, now, now it does make a lot more sense. You know, annihilation upholds the God is still a just God, you know, Absolutely. Um, but he's still, a, he, he's not a, he's not a torturer, you know, he's not going to, he's not going to go yeah. beyond the deserved punishment. Cause he, I mean, to bring it back full circle, uh, Nathan, which you said at the beginning, like finite sins by finite being seems unjust to face an eternal, um, level of ongoing punishment. It just doesn't seem to square, not in my, just my emotion, emotions. It doesn't seem to square with the justice yeah. revealed in, in scripture. That's fantastic. Well, this, Preston, this has been, this has been yeah. awesome. Um, I hope uh, that all of you out there have gotten a few more questions answered about yeah. uh, hell. Maybe you haven't even been thinking about it, but we have. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> real quick before we jump into our blessings and curses, I want to go ahead and give Preston a chance to um, plug anything you're doing and uh, tell us where people can send their either hate mail or love messages. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, you could send your hate mail to the garbage can. Now you, you can email it in. It'll either be deleted, deleted or mocked. <laughs> you, can, um, you can send uh, your hate mail to insert like somebody I do not like here. Yeah. <laughs> Nathan Clarkson. Um, uh, so honestly, I mean, mo I, the last five years, no, eight years, really, my main focus has been on sexuality and gender conversations, helping Christian leaders navigate LGBTQ questions. You just not, don't pick the topics to win you any friends, do you? <laughs> <laughs> so my most recent book, if I can plug my one thing, yeah. I mean, yeah, my recent book is called Embodied Transgender Identities, the Church and What the Bible Has to Say. So if you're a Christian wow. or even not a Christian, just want to know what does Christianity, how should Christianity understand and respond to the trans conversation? This book took me five years to write more research than anything I've wow. ever done. Loads wow. of stories of trans people. Um, and yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for, for the book and hopefully Gosh, darn it. It looks like more. another book I'm going to have to buy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where can people get that? When does it come out? It came out February 1st. So uh, right. Amazon. Perfect. All right. Everyone. Where books are sold, but yeah. Amazon. Know what to do. For That's now, awesome. knock on wood. For yeah. now, it's not banned yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, this, I, I, it's way too nuanced. Um, some of the books that are being banned on Amazon, if people are aware of that, they're actually, I think they're pretty good books. They're not, they're not bad. They shouldn't be banned, but they're, they're, they're a little provocative, you know, they, they sure. are intentionally pushing stuff. But um, my ministry website is centerforfaith.com. That has all sexuality and gender stuff. My personal website, pressandsprinkle.com. Very and cool. And we check out his podcast. Um, yeah. yeah. It uh, really is. Theology fantastic. in the raw. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Theology yep. in the raw. Fantastic. And now blesses and curses. Cool. So do you have any blesses and curses, uh, Dr. Sprinkle, you want to do, or would you rather wait till we do things? I'm going to, I'm going to follow your lead. Just see. Cool. Right. Sounds good. Sounds good. Nathan, Nathan, you were very excited about your, your picks. So why don't you go first? I was, I, I have a couple of good ones today. Uh, real quick. I am going to bless 
Love wins, not because I think it's a perfect heretic. I think it's, um, it's uh, you know, the ultimate truth about hell. But I do think it brings up some great questions yeah. that really got this conversation started right. in the whole um, this whole Christianity world. I was gonna, I was gonna say Christian on a whole. I don't know if, ca- if we got Catholic started. I think they kind of know what they think. Um, <laughs> but definitely the uh, main lines and Protestant places. It got some great questions going in. Certainly asking <clears throat> questions. Uh, got me asking questions. So I'll go ahead and put that on the blessed list. Although I haven't read tons of Rob Bell, so. If there's something out there that's heretical, I'm not necessarily endorsing it. Although you'll have to, you have to ask. It's a case by case basis. You yeah, might be I'm, endorsing it. <laughs> yeah, I'm a heretic occasionally. Yes. Uh, my uh, Catholic friends lovingly refer to me. Um, and then I'm going to bless on the top, topic of hell. Another book that I love, one very formative in my young years, is The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. I know, I know, another C.S. Lewis book. Um, <laughs> such an interesting. By the way, he's not writing this as um as, as theology yeah, yeah but the metaphor he uses for hell and even our own human yeah. state and how it's i don't want to spoil anything but it's about people moving further and further and further away from each other um but it just really is a really interesting view of the afterlife of hell and human nature so please go read the great divorce one of my favorite books by him and just period if you haven't read it um and then to curse i'm going to curse a movie and you, you all know that I like, I like scary movies. I like, um, even if they're bad, but there's a movie called Drag Me to Hell. And, it's just, and since we have the theology acts around here, I'm going to have to curse it because it just has terrible theology. In <laughs> Literally, someone gets dragged to a hell because oh, they, I, I can't remember what they do. They like, you know, read a page the wrong way or something, uh, you know, some curse or something. And so I'm going to go ahead and curse Drag Me to Hell. It's not a great movie. Um, it's not even that fun. So there's that's, 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 that's the worst kind of bad movie is a bad movie. That's <laughs> not even fun to watch because it's bad. Yeah. You know, it's you like, you can't even hate watch it. You yeah. can't even hate watch it, but enough about chaos walking. Yeah. Um, <laughs> any Heku, um, I, I don't know if there are any chaos walking fans out there, but you're wrong. Um, I will, so I'll go move on off of that. I will go and, uh, bless, um, paradise lost actually. Um, mm-hmm. because, okay. um, I, I, it's, it was one of my favorite books as a teenager, which again, nerd. Um, but it was one of the things I loved about it was its portrayal of uh, what it took for Satan to like be in hell and what was the requirement. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that he, uh, my favorite lines from there was he has this moment where he's going out of hell and coming to Eden, the garden of Eden to, um, to tempt, you know, humanity. And he's reminded sort of of the glory of what heaven was like because he's only just been in hell for so long. And what he says is that, you know, even now I would go back if I could go on my feet and not on my knees. Mm. Um, and that's the wow. thing is that the, the realizes that the exit to hell, the exit is, is you have to go on your knees. You have to say, no, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Um, and, mm. and that, um, you know, everybody likes to quote the, you know, uh, better to reign in hell than serve in heaven thing, which is a great line. It's a, it's a great line. But for me, that was the thing is that, is that if the, whenever I decide that I want to, my, um, be reconciled with God on my terms where it doesn't have to come as apology and on my knees, I am doing the same thing that condemns, uh, mm. Satan to hell. So, mm. th- so that would be, I'll, I'll bless, uh, paradise lost. Okay. Um, um, thank you very much. Uh, uh, and curse, 
I, I honestly, I can't think of it. I, Cause like if I, if I haven't, there aren't a lot of, do you want to actually, oh gosh, what I don't actually remember the, the name of this thing, but I know that there was this, there's this movie. You, somebody can tell me about this. One of our listeners, there's this movie that came out a while back that was about hell as a carnival. And I was looking at just like a carnival and it was all these metaphors of, of people like oh, doing sinful things about. and then yeah. they doing sinful things and getting their comeuppance. And it was just, you know, it was grim for the sake of being grim and evil for this and just kind of like, and it, it did have some interesting theology where they actually portrayed God as like a toy maker, but then somebody gave mercy to somebody who was in hell and kind of let them out. And so they let hell back into heaven to infect it. So there's interesting theological stuff going on there, but it was just much more interested in just being nasty. And that's just, you know, again, being nasty for nasty's sake is just bad art and it's bad for people. And it's just not interesting to me. So that's what I'm going to curse. And I will retroactively give the name if somebody can just tell me what the name is later, one of our listeners, but yeah, I'm going to curse that. So (laughs) So cool. All right, I'm gonna bless. So yes. it has to be on the topic of hell. Is that uh, uh, you can you can do if you, if you just wanted to bless something randomly, you can. But like you know, but uh, yeah, we do yeah. it on the themes. Creative license. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I'm gonna bless uh, a book called The Fire Consumes by Ed Fudge. Um, hmm. There's three different editions. It's the kind of massive book that is an evangelical kind of defense of the annihilation view. Um, Kind of an academic book, but fairly readable, but very, very thorough. And uh, um, yeah, really, really good book. I wish there was more like a popular level version of that. And um, uh, I'm going to also bless uh, the Rethinking Hell website. If if someone's like, I don't want to read a book, but I wouldn't (laughs) wouldn't mind hearing, watching a five minute video or reading a short article. Um, some friends of mine started a, basically as a ministry, almost like a movement, um, a small movement, um, called the rethinking hell called rethinking hell. It's it's a whole website with loads of resources, uh, exploring and defending, uh, the annihilation view of hell from a, from a very evangelical biblically centered perspective. And I guess I'm going to curse, um, even though I kind of like this song because I'm an ACDC fan, but nice. I'm going to curse um, Highway to Hell um, <laughs> because, um, again, I, 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 um, when I listen to music, I primarily listen to it for the sound, not the, not the lyrics. In fact, I sure. typically don't even really hear lyrics. I just hear the sound. So it's a killer song. But, man, what a terrible representation of something that's very real and sobering, you know, like yeah. all my friends are going to be there, big party, you know, and, and, um, yeah, you know that, yeah, that's, um, that, that's, that's the wrong way to think about it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Good. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Sprinkle you, for, for your time and for giving very thorough and very, you know, nuanced and thoughtful approach to this, you know, again, you working on this for so many years. I mean, you know, if anybody is an overthinker in the best possible way, uh, <laughs> you, you are. So we thank you very much for, for coming on our podcast. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate quick- it. Before we uh, head yes. out, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, please go to theoverthinkersjournal.com. You can send us all your mail and um, thoughts and questions and thoughts for uh, future episodes. Please join our online Facebook group. It's the Overthinkers private group. Please leave us a review. That definitely helps get out there. And we've just been so astonished in starting this um, this quarantine podcast, how well it's gone and, uh, and how much fun it's to hang out with all you guys. And aside from that, Joseph, can you get us out of here? Yes, absolutely. And remember everybody, If it's worth thinking about, it's worth overthinking about.